Welcome to Paid in Puke, a podcast where three women with names discuss movies about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode, we're talking about Susan Seidelman's 1987 comedy, Making Mr. Right. Yeah. Starring Anne Magnuson. Glenn Headley and Laurie Metcalf, and it was written by Floyd Byers and Laurie Frank, who are two of Susan Seidelman's friends. Oh, that's nice. Morning, Pinky. Breakfast as usual. And get me a cosmopolitan, a glamour, a new woman, complete woman, working woman, and modern wrestler. You got it. Frankie Stone's got it all. A fulfilling job. Harold's group is still waiting on the promo copy. Geraldi likes the slogan, but he wants to delete the word small. He thinks it's a turnoff. An understanding mother. You could have married the most eligible bachelor in all of Miami if you played your cards right. A good friend. Frankie, I always thought Steve was about the best you were going to do. She had only one problem. Finding the right guy. Miss Stone, the Ulysses android is an amazing piece of equipment. I'm not used to promoting hardware, Doctor. I promote people. But she was about to take a step in the right direction. My God, he looks like you. What did you think he'd look like? An erector set? Making Mr. Right. He was designed for space. Guess that means you don't cook, huh? But his heart was set on Earth. I think you're the most attractive woman I know. I'm the only woman you know. What was that? I love you, Jeff. What is that woman teaching you? (laughs) We were making love and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever felt in my entire life. Some minor activity occurs in the medulla and and wham, they think they're in love. You just made it with my android. Ew! (laughs) Ulysses, you have a great future in space. You'll go down in the history books. You're to be envied. I don't want to be envied. I want to be loved. From the director of Desperately Seeking Susan, Making Mr. Right. I'm Jessica Baxter. I'm Annie Malone. I'm Christina Barr. In conjunction with the Blu-ray release of Making Mr. Right, our Pukettes got the thrilling opportunity to speak with the legendary multi-hyphenate talent that is Anne Magnuson. You'll know it's a clip from our interview when you hear a snippet of Anne's cover of David Bowie's Moon Age Daydream. Like so. And now, let's talk about Making Mr. Right with Anne Magnuson. Making Mr. Right follows Frankie Stone, played by Magnuson, a successful publicist hired to teach an android how to be more human for the sake of congressional funding, I guess. <laughs> yes, that is also not even very clear. Yes. What is she supposed to do? They're like, we need your help. And she's like, okay, here's how I can help. And they're like, sounds great. What's more important, we're losing our funding in Congress. That's why we came here. We need to make people see how important this project is. Miss Stone, the Ulysses android is an amazing piece of equipment. 
Yeah, but I'm not used to promoting hardware, Doctor. I promote people. Politicians, businessmen, the occasional rock star. Only to become romantically entangled with this android, played by John Malkovich in a dual role. Wow, what a wacky dual role. <laughs> yeah. This is a very fashion-forward, very 80s, very fun, female-gazy movie with hot cars and a great soundtrack by the real genius guy, Chaz Jankel. I was very I love impressed with myself that uh, I recognized. I was like, this sounds like a real genius score. And then I looked at oh, wow. Good stuff. Good 80s stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a deep cut, I think. <laughs> Although it yes. is getting a re-release. March 7th, 2023. With director commentary and Anne Magnuson oh, will also yes. do commentary. Yeah, I yes. want to hear her commentary. I will commentary. buy that DVD and Absolutely. listen to the commentary. Oh, show. <laughs> well, and also, a lot of times you buy DVDs, it comes with a code to have it digitally, too. So it sure you can have everything. Where did pain and puke title come from? <laughs> <laughs> it comes from the movie Heathers. Uh, oh, okay. Did they remake it? They did, but we're original purists, for sure. <laughs> I remember seeing the original in theaters, and I liked it. Christian Slater, right? Yeah. Yeah. Winona Ryder. Right. I remember it was very fun. We were just looking for a way to set our Talking About Movies podcast apart from all the other Talking About Movies podcasts. <laughs> oh, well, it definitely does that. <laughs> you know what? In show business, you generally are paid in puke on some metaphoric level. Yeah. yeah. It definitely felt meaningful in that way, especially because we talk about female-driven narratives, and sometimes it does feel like you're being paid in puke with the female-driven stories we get. Yeah, even the good ones, there's some backlash or some fuckery involved <laughs> will never end well maybe in some ideal metaverse right <laughs> i pulled out all this making mr right stuff that i had pulled out months ago last year when susan Seidelman and i did the commentary for this new blu-ray that's coming out on kino lorber Ooh. and i'm going to have dvds uh, for sale on my website Signed and numbered. No, not numbered. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about your experience on Making Mr. Right and how it all came together? Well, it came together when I was called into audition for the part that Glenn Headley played. Oh. I knew Susan Seidelman from doing Desperately Seeking Susan, and she had seen my performances all over town at different clubs and galleries and even museums and Susan knew of me that way, and I was cast in Desperately Seeking Susan. Well, you know, I actually auditioned to play Madonna's friend. There are some good pictures that Susan found. She found the, the audition tape, but it's so degraded, but she grabbed some screen grabs. So around the time of the Making Mr. Right DVD, whatever, you don't call it a premiere, what do you call it, a launch, but it drops. <laughs> <laughs> I will post those on my Instagram, but they're pretty funny. I, yeah. I completely forgot about <laughs> the wacky shit I did for that audition. So I didn't get that part, but that was the uh, cameo as the cigarette girl. And got to know Susan and, and knew Risa Brayman. She took my job when I quit Ensemble Studio Theater. And Billy Hopkins was somebody I knew because he went to Denison University that I went to. So Billy and Risa did a lot of the casting for the more interesting films that were going on at that time. And I got called in to read for what was eventually became a Glenn Headley part. Trish and I really wanted that one so I was surprised when I got the call to come in and read for the main part I thought oh this is never gonna happen 
I saw very established actresses coming and going from that that audition building, oh, wow. and I thought, no, but I'll I'll do it. You know, it was <laughs> shocking that I got the part. So we went to Miami and shot it there, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> it's not shocking to us that you got the part. You're so magnetic in that role. Oh, that's very nice of you. Well, in the commentary, Susan said, I cast you because of your persona, the way I cast Madonna and Richard Hell. But that, <laughs> that makes it sound like I wasn't acting, and I was. So that was not playing me. I mean, I'm much more animated and goofier than that character. So it was very challenging for me to strip all that away and do less and less and less. I was uh, very jealous of... Laurie Metcalf when I saw oh. the film. That's the part I want to do. You know, yeah. uh, goofy. And, and so when I got on to Anything But Love, I got to really play that up, that more daffy oh. part of me, which is fun, you know? Mm -hmm. I was more the straight person in Making Mr. Right. And believe me, I am so grateful for that part. In retrospect, I had a different kind of experience than the people at Steppenwolf, but it was just as valid. Mm -hmm. Maybe more Absolutely. so because, yeah. you know, I was fighting people on stage. <laughs> and I did my heavy metal band, but then I do the folk band and created my own repertory company with myself <laughs> and my friends. And we did things every night. We had created a whole vaudeville circuit downtown <laughs> oh, wow. at the Pyramid Club, Danceteria, make videos. And I had done so much stuff before getting into making Mr. Right. And I was 30 when that movie came out. And I remember looking for an agent, a bona fide, you know, Hollywood uh -huh. agent. He said, well, 30's a little old, you know, it's better if you started at 19. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I started at 8. But... <laughs> yeah. What do y'all think of this movie? I think it is timely to have a re-release, because I was noticing, like, why do we always love these person falls in love with robots? Why is yes. that such a tried and true trope for so long, you know? Yeah. That's so curious to me. I mean, there's obviously more serious versions of the robots are people or robots are more human than people idea. Yeah, I haven't seen a ton. Well, I saw Weird Science a bunch of times when I was a kid and that was very teenage she's boy. I, she's I mean, not? She's not real. They created her. Yeah. But isn't she made of flesh? I don't know. There's obviously some weird stuff going on with Ulysses. He eats. He needs to eat. Right. It, he has a working dog. Apparently <laughs> has all the same needs that a human would have in space for seven years because you can just yeah. swap it, you know. I mean, even like in Blade Runner, the replicants are people. Yeah. Or are they? I think oh. that that's what they're getting at. <laughs> I love to say robots are people. Her explored that. Yeah. Ex Machina. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Her. Westworld. Like, with... Some things more successful than others <laughs> thematically. I was but. thinking about Westworld watching this because with the AI concept, I guess, the robot starts becoming so advanced that like emotions come in and then you have their own memories and he, yeah. he stopped caring about space and just cared about Frankie and fell in love with her. That was never his dream. It's like dream. it's <laughs> like the machines that we make for a certain purpose ultimately become so advanced that they 
don't know. Right. Did you see Ex Machina? I saw, yeah. I didn't see Blade Runner. I, I Blade need, Runner to, is I need to see good. it. Yeah. I like Blade Runner and I like Blade Runner 2049. They're both really good. They hold it. up to like multiple viewings too. Yeah. Except for Jared Leto. No. <laughs> but he's you know, very he pretty at least. No, I do not care for Jared Leto. That movie I only saw once. I would see it again. But the original Blade Runner I've seen a lot. And I feel like I still... Every time needs something explained. <laughs> okay, but like, what's the unicorn meter? It's interesting. It's played for laughs, but there's the Westworld theme. It's almost like Jeff doesn't even really know why he built the robot exactly. Mm-hmm. He's like, we could use it for all sorts of useful things, like bomb detonation and right. the handling chemicals. Ulysses is the closest thing to man himself. The future applications for such an android are virtually infinite. Handling hazardous chemicals, detecting radiation, disarming explosives, fighting fires, test piloting new aircrafts, and, of course, exploring space. But then it's like, are you trying to market it to families? Or are right. you trying to market it for labor, dangerous labor, and going to space? It's like, you just built this one robot. <laughs> right. I also think just yeah. about timeliness, like it's not about being in love with the robot, but also I felt like Megan has some parallels with it because yes. it's about like creating a robot that then gets out of your control. Like that's also mm-hmm. ex machina, like you created this, but you made it too sophisticated and then you can't control it anymore. Yeah, and the implications of like whether or not you should control it. I mean, I guess you'd have to look at it from an allegorical standpoint because it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. <laughs> right, right, right. That's all right. If we're going to go into hot probs. Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. Whatever he is, it like makes no sense. Why does he eat? Why does this thing need to eat? Like, you can take its head off and put it back on. That makes no sense. Like his and whole there's no deal. esophagus going, I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson right. would hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> if they're just going to shoot him into space, why it bother making like him so human-like? Yeah. You're just wanting to do, like, mechanical tasks. The eating thing especially is, like, a bad call. You certainly have quite an appetite. Yes, I never get food with so many colors. But do you usually eat, Jeff? You know, diethemine in an amino acid base. Guess that means you don't cook. You're just setting yourself up. Yeah. For why do you want a machine to create paste that gives you all the nutrients? Like, why even do that? Right. Or if it's like how a car needs gas or something. The logistics make no sense. <laughs> yeah. This movie does not hold up under scrutiny at all. <laughs> but it is stylistically amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. It's very charming and fun. I mean, all right, yeah. Let me yeah. look at what I wrote. All right. I do thought. love Frankie so much and want her to live, which is why one of my hot props is she needs to look both ways before she crosses the street yes, like that. She's so <laughs> reckless. Literally almost gets hit by a car twice. And that's just in the short time we know her. Who knows how she lives her daily life. It seems like she's always late for things, which, you know, if you're going to be late, then don't rush. <laughs> this is what I have a couple times. People are supposed to be into Ulysses and into, is it Steve or Jeff? The other, that's John Malkovich. Jeff. Yeah, yeah right. Why didn't they get, like, an actually good-looking guy with, like, normal hair? <laughs> you know? Why is anyone... It's like, all these women have, like, such great looks. They all have, yeah. like, very distinctive looks and styles, which I love. Why are they all into this guy with the terrible hair who's just John Malkovich? I wondered if John Malkovich, he's got blue eyes and Ken, like, blonde hair. Is he really blonde, or...? I think he might have, like, dirty blonde hair naturally, but that's not his hair. That's a way. 
That's what we so I don't know. Maybe it's like because Why they were trying like to go with someone who look quite human, but then it's really hard to play off the attractive, irresistible robot thing. Or irresistible yeah. or person, scientist. Right, yeah. right. I did not like Jeff. Jeff sucks. He sucks. And I didn't see why Sandra was so obsessed with him. I guess you didn't see me back there, huh? <laughs> Hello, Sandra. I told you to call me Sandy. We're still friends, aren't we? I take the blame for everything that happened the other night, but you know what they say, getting started's the hardest part. I've got a lot of work to do. And I'm the carefree type, no pressures, no demands, anything for a laugh. We're still on for tonight, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Okay, great. So. It's a date. <laughs> he's like eating the protein paste or whatever <laughs> at the wedding. You know, he's yeah. just like one of those feelings people. What are you eating? Protein paste. We don't test it. I developed it specifically for the Ulysses Project. One tube contains all the nutrients we required for a four-week period. Food, all of these unnecessary things. You know, yeah, like, he yeah. just seems like the like Ted Moreau drinking than, soylent. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be more robot than the actual robot. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely what they're getting at. But it makes sense to me that Trish would be into him because she made it with Ulysses. <laughs> That's why she's into him, because he looks just like him, and she's like, I wonder what else they have in common. But yeah, Sandra, what is going on with you, right. Sandy girl? I mean, if you have to date someone from work, that can't be the best Right, option. that's what the yeah. And also, when Frankie invites him to the wedding, it's like, why don't they know any other men, you know? Yeah. Especially I mean, in this field, they right? They kind of try to make that make sense by her mom being like, we heard you're bringing this doctor to the wedding. But Steve's mother said Steve said you had a date for the wedding dear. I don't know what Steve's talking about. Well, according to Steve's mother, he's not much to look at, but I heard he was some sort of doctor. We're all dying to meet him. Mom, look, I told you I'm coming alone. Now, dog, you are going to be able to dig up somebody, aren't you? You don't want Steve to see you there all alone, do you, dear? And so she's like, all right. I yeah. feel like that conversation is reason for her to ask him to go, even though he's yeah. already made it very clear he's not interested in pursuing a, right. <laughs> a romantic relationship with her. What are you doing? Shh, you're my boyfriend. Miss Stone, if I have unwittingly led you on, I sincerely apologize. Don't flatter yourself. I hate men. You might have to look outside South Florida, but he worked. <laughs> Right. I don't know. Steve's such a drip, There's too. There's gotta be yeah. better, right? Frankie is, she's a successful working woman. She's a big publicist. The men in the movie, they would touch her on the arm yes. and yeah. stuff. In the future, making love will no longer be necessary for the creation of life. It can all be done far more efficiently in the lab. How romantic. Of course, I myself prefer the old-fashioned way. I mean, I feel no, no, like no. that was very intentional. I like that. She's teaching Ulysses. There's a yeah. whole scene where she's like, you have to ask someone before you touch them. You know, Ulysses, you can't just go grabbing people's feet like that. Why not? You see, there are, are rules for social behavior, and, um, well, relationships between people develop in stages, and... To get physical with someone, you have to get to know them first. Now, if you don't mind, I've had a very long day and I'd like to get some sleep. Good night, Ulysses. Good night. She's yeah. like teaching him consent, which is something that real men that she knows don't have any boundaries right. for. 
I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. She's like, that's like making Mr. Right. It's like, there is no real man that will be satisfying. I have to create them. Yeah, like, in a work situation, the men don't treat her respectfully, you know? And I don't know, I guess I just, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about working in the 80s <laughs> in a work situation yeah. for women. It just looked like it really sucked, you know? I was wondering who her partner is, because, like, when she walks in, it says right. about the reception desk, Stone mm-hmm. and Cone. And oh. it's like, <laughs> And then it, how could she be worried about losing her job if she owns yeah. the business? And, like, she's so successful, but she still feels like she needs to bring a guy to the wedding. Because, like, her... Was Cone Polly Draper? No. no. That's not... No? She said that was her assistant. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Who's Cone? Who's Cone? Wow. We never meet Cone. Like, and Hot Prop's still related to... The Sandy stuff. When she's on the date with Ulysses, but she thinks it's just... Why can't I remember? Jeff. 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 Okay. She <laughs> thinks it's Jeff. And, like, it's pretty funny, but sad, you know, when she's, it's like, so thinks he's tragic. buying her the earrings. I have a confession to make. I'm really just an old-fashioned girl, and getting a gift from a man really means a lot to me. Yes, that'll be one thirty-nine fifty-six with tax. Would you like to pay with credit card, cash, or check? Sir. Sir. Jeff, the money. I don't have any. Huh? <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind, really. I, it's just so beautiful. You take American Express. It's like doing this nice balance of that, like a funny sad, but then when he squirts a ketchup on her white dress, yeah, that then was it's awful. just a bummer, you know? It, it like, really is. I feel she deserves better than what she gets in this movie, you know? Well, I think I've had about enough fun for one night. My cash is gone and my credit card's getting a little thin. Why don't we just go home? Could you take me? You don't have your car! No. Okay? Where do you want to go? Frankie Stones, you'll like her. <laughs> oh no, I won't. I mean, I almost feel like Laurie Metcalf is too good of an actor to make that be funny. Yeah. Her face and like the way her face falls and how angry she is when she's like, you didn't even bring your car. It's too good. I'm like, yeah. I can't laugh at this. I'm so sad for you. Yeah. It definitely stopped say. being amusing. For me, it was the ketchup on the dress that just yeah. like went over the line where it's like, okay, this is just a bummer. Yeah. yeah. And she keeps talking about money. So obviously she's not rich. She's like, I'm broke. She just bought just that bought, dress, yeah. you know? I just got the dress. I got the earrings that I wasn't even going to buy because they were too expensive. Right. And then she goes to the diner and he orders all this food. I feel like she gets the jello because she, like, can't afford right. anything else. She's like, this, this <laughs> yeah. date is bleeding me dry. Ugh, it's very sad. I yeah. don't like that part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get really upset for her. I love her great style. Like, her cute dresses, dresses and her, so like, cute. very done hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like a cartoon character, yeah. kind of. Like, she does. Really. I love her run. She's yeah. Like, she runs like a Muppet. It's really funny. She's so great. Yeah, justice for Sandy. <laughs> John Malkovich's wig sucks. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's supposed to be funny, I guess. Like, you really, I mean, it's fake hair, but it's modeled after the hair on Jeff's head. It's really confusing. Yeah, it's a confusing yeah. situation. It, is, it does seem like they put so much time and effort into the women looking amazing. Right. And then they're like, I don't know, dude. It's just and, like, every woman hair. has her own special style, which is just 
Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love the styling of the women in this movie. It's so great. So good. I gotta say another hot prop fashion prop is Dr. Ramdas's short sleeve. Oh god. <laughs> that <laughs> was really upsetting. bad. Ooh. I yes. mean, I know it's hot in Florida, but that was a crime of fashion. It's very bad. <laughs> you would have looked classier wearing, like, a white tank top than that if you're hot. So That's bad. Yeah. No. Oh, and then also Frankie litters a little bit, which is not great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and very dangerous driving. I mean... Don't like the litter bug, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, driving a clutch barefoot, that's crazy. I mean, driving barefoot in general, I think, is crazy. But... And, like, putting on mascara while the car is moving? <laughs> no. Death wish. Great. I think she said death Just wish. get up a little earlier if you're that <laughs> late, you know. Or do it all real quick when you get to the parking lot. No. <laughs> no. I loved her Frankie. car though the red phone and the dashboard oh my gosh yes like that was like she's a high powered yeah red and the nails and the lipstick and the blotter like the little envelope that she blots her lipstick <laughs> on that's so cute it just looks like a million bucks this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but another problem i have is i don't understand the security on the <laughs> just put your hand i don't know if it's security or if it's just that's how you open the that's door you, open you know it. like the handicap automatic door oh, yeah. and then you just push the thing I think it's I just that's so. how the door opens. You put your hand on it. It looks so high tech. Like, there's got to be security. I assume there's security because they have cameras everywhere. Is it they're concerned about unsavories getting in or out or whatever? But it's very easy for the robot, the top secret robot, to escape. Do you think the conceit of it is like a lot of the men characters, they're kind of suck? basically and (laughs) it takes this robot to be trained to actually listen there was this line where she's like don't flatter yourself i hate men yeah don't flatter yourself I hate men. And I thought that was so telling. Yeah. yeah. And that they showed so much from Donahue where it was like, no, how there's like no men out there. You know, right, like, yeah. They showed a lot. Yeah, like, I don't know. waiting they... for Mr. Right. Is that a trap? Does Mr. Right exist? Right. One of the things is that you can't sit around on your hoopy doopy waiting for Mr. Right to come. She's not doing that. Yeah, I know, but you've got to get out there and you've got to let yourself be known. You've got to say, here I am and I'm worthwhile. I think a lot of it depends on your own Frankie really, she seems like she's confident and I don't know if they were trying to portray her as lovelorn or anything, but I didn't really feel like that. She wants someone who's not a bummer to date. Really. Yeah. Okay, like Steve's a bummer. Yeah. Jeff's definitely a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Dawn is a bummer. It's like real men are bummers. Like, That's true. I do true. appreciate that as a thesis mm-hmm. of the 80s especially. Yeah. I mean, at least the movies. I was not old enough to date in the 80s, but <laughs> if the movies are any indication, it was definitely filled with a bunch of douchebags. Why could Like I... the dating pool was all douchey dudes. Yeah. It's incredible that I was given the opportunity to star in this film and play a nuanced working woman that wasn't, you know, the bitch boss or the <laughs> the object of derision on some level, you know? That right. She was very sensitive to having a female protagonist that 
certainly did not fall into the same tropes of movie making at that period of time as much, you know, that, I mean, the mainstream yeah. stuff, yeah. which is maybe why it wasn't a big hit, but <laughs> like the people preferred Mannequin or something, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I, I think it holds up. I watched it last year for the first time in years when Susan had reached out to me and told me about the Kino Lorber Blu-ray and doing the commentary. I was very charmed by it. And I told her, I think it's, this is really good and we had a really good time revisiting it and she did talk about the persona thing i didn't really get into any details in the commentary so much every actor has a persona they bring to a role but i don't think that was me <laughs> <laughs> I like that this movie, it wasn't like a rom-com-y kind of like, oh, I'm just looking for that one or whatever. I just appreciated that about the movie. I feel like they established that if you look at her, you'll be like, she's got it all together because she's a successful right. business owner and, you know, she drives a hot car. And although they're trying to say that that's a beater car of the Corvair, right. the 64 Corvair, but it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it does, it has trouble starting when it does, it starts out, but. It's not like it's a dump of a car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like when it's established, like, I love the girl talk that she and Trish have. Like, like when Trish first gets there. You know, Frankie, being single again could be really great. I mean, you could go wherever you wanted, sleep with whoever you wanted, have absolutely incredible sex with strangers. Like, um, I've never made it with a bodybuilder, have you? Or an acrobat? <laughs> How about a car mechanic? <laughs> a sweaty one. <laughs> I've never even tried a menage a trois, have you? With Steve? Mm -hmm. Oh, God, it was hard enough to get him alone. Um, and even then, it wasn't hard enough. <laughs> you know, how basically being single is just your opportunity to fuck around. You know, yes. like, a lot of the spirit is just not, like, desperate to get married or something. Right. Wanting to have some fun. Yeah. You know? Trish is so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how her mom is, like, anti-wedding, too. Well, you two look adorable. Who's getting married here, huh? The wrong person. You could have married the most eligible bachelor in all of Miami if you played your cards right, and your sister here insists on marrying a busboy. Hector and I are in love, Mom. What's love got to do with it? Frankie and Steve had a relationship. It didn't work out. Did they have to go through a horrendous divorce like me? No. They were sensible. They parted as friends. There are little yeah. mixed messages because she's like, you should be the one getting married, but then it's like, but I'm so glad you didn't because I got divorced and it was terrible. Right. Well, I <laughs> like, think... Like, the divorce was terrible. Yeah, that was a little bit mixed. But I think maybe the thing of, like, oh, it should be her getting married. It's like, one, I think it's like she doesn't like the fiancé mm -hmm. of the sister or that it was really fast and they're younger. I feel like that was more the sense, like, if one of you is getting married, it should be the older one, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like all about the romance with her sister and fiance. And Frankie's too practical for romance, and she still wants, you know, she wants something. She gets lonely with her freezing lunch. <laughs> There's only so much freezing dodge you can eat. I have never had that before. Was it, that like a big it thing? It, we didn't. Yeah. When we watched this, whenever it was a couple months ago, we ended up doing a little deep dive into freezing dodge. Yeah, it was just for a little while. It was like a response to Hagen Dazs. That's when Hagen Dazs first became really popular, and then it was like this made-up, also Scandinavian-sounding. <laughs> Frozen Glacier. Frozen Glacier. Frozen Glacier. 
the ice cream under the dome. So creamy, so delicious, so rewarding. Oh. And we found some like insane commercials. I was Surgeon like, is. are these fan made? Someone would come home and the person would be like, I ate all the Frusenglaja and then. And now, a message from Frusenglaja. Sandy, I'm home. I ate all the Frusenglaja. Say what? I ate all the Frusenglaja. Oh, you did? And I do it again. It's to die for. Would they kill them or something? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think there must have been some sort of campaign where it was like, make your own. Make your. Commercial. I think that's what it was. Oh, yeah, wow. It was very weird. But yeah, it was just around for a little bit. Like, it's an accidental time capsule in this movie that she has. Okay, any other hot probs? No, I think we got it. Next call. Freak out. There were so many magical experiences that I associate with doing that film. And even when I was looking through all this stuff that I pulled out before we started to talk, photographs of me and Ben Masters. And Ben, I just found out a few weeks ago that he died. Mm -hmm. And I was so hoping that when this Blu-ray came out that there might be a, a good way to reach out and say, hey, I really loved working with you on this. So time, time is uh, taking away a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. No time to waste, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about what we liked. Which obviously, we talked about the fashion. Oh, my gosh. So we didn't talk yes. about Trisha's fashion. Trisha's fashion. <laughs> show. She's just, like, lying around in this lip that, like, barely covers her she ass. Like, mostly funny doesn't have She's so right. Especially, so like, with the garters. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in contrast with Frankie's man-cut pajamas that are like, right. she looks adorable so in them, obviously. <laughs> one of you is looking comfortable and the other one is like, right. what a man imagines a woman is doing when they're lounging right. around. Right. Like, like, she's literally her putting ass on is showing like, stuff while time. she's watching the show. <laughs> like, why are you doing this right now? <laughs> I love when she crosses the woman on the soap <laughs> opera's face off yeah, with the so lipstick funny. on the screen. That was so funny. And her travel bag with the airplane bag. spirits, the glasses. <sighs> She's yeah. just like ready to make a nice cocktail. <laughs> cocktail suitcase. Oh, and then the other thing was Frankie has always got her portable Rolodex around her. Her Rolodex bracelet. Her Rolodex yeah. bracelet. That's really cool. <laughs> I thought it was just like she took it off her desk and put the metal thing around her arm or something. I was just like. Oh, I remember those things. Keep your electric eye on me, babe. Susan casting me in that film was such a privilege to be able to play a sassy working woman. I would like her to have been a little sassier, but <laughs> that's okay. It worked out fine. Oh, more than fine. It's really exciting for me to have younger people discover it and enjoy it. I don't think it was really appreciated at the time it came out, and now it's finding this other audience, or has found an, another audience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's wonderful. See, it's worth getting old to see these things. <laughs> yeah, so tell me your impressions of the film. We had a great time watching it. We loved, like, the style, like your amazing little jackets, and especially every woman character has has her yes. own style. Like, we loved Laurie Metcalf's look. <laughs> it was oh adorable. Yes, she was great. Yeah. I loved all the classic cars. 
I thought it was really interesting how each character's car was chosen and said something about that. Oh, yes. And yeah, it is really unusual for a film from that time period to have a working woman who isn't, you have it all except love, <laughs> but it's like you're not even all that fixated on it. <laughs> it yeah. seems like you're, right, you're right. really... Like, I'm just like, eh, well, you know. Yeah. It's not going to destroy me. Yeah, you're not Bridget Jones. We have a lunchtime poll, which is just a question that we ask that's sort of related to the movie, and we really liked your pairing of the your sad snack, we called it, of the Diet Coke and the Frozen Glacia. <laughs> yes, that, I have to say that was my idea. I should have the contradictory. Yeah, <laughs> I love the ice cream and Diet Coke. I'll have the Diet it. Coke, which will help. <laughs> the pint of ice cream, yeah. With all the calories ingesting <laughs> with this thing. <laughs> Susan was open for me to add things. That's wonderful. Did you have input on your own clothing style? To some degree, but I think that that was Adele Lutz and, and Rudy Dillon, and all of us, I think, had the same point of view coming out of downtown New York. There's the new wave style was reminiscent of the 50s and 60s. One thing I did have an input on was getting Keith Haring to draw on oh. the white pumps. Oh my God, we loved your Keith Haring shoes. Yes, I knew Keith, so oh, he took wow. that as a favor to me wow. on the stipulation that I get the shoes after the shoot. So I wow. still have them. I was just going to ask, do you still have them? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, the Rolodex as a <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Love that. That was my idea, and also picking up the arm and using it as a back scratch. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. I love, it seemed like John Malkovich was buying a car on the computer. Computer so shopping. Ahead of its time, you know? <laughs> yes, well, because he was so imbued with the highest IQ brain <laughs> <laughs> possible, I suppose. But yes, seeing the old computers... Yeah. You really feel old when you look at that stuff and you say, wow, this is like watching some movie from the 20s and seeing an old Model T or something. <laughs> but I thought it was really smart to have this sort of Art Deco version of the technology so that it kind of makes it timeless in a way because things never really looked exactly like that. It's so heightened for the yes. time period. I said in the commentary that there really isn't a sense of the 80s with the big hair and everything until you get to the final scenes around the pool where <laughs> yeah. the Hart Bachner character comes in and he's a famous soap star <laughs> and the girls go wild and the girls have teased up hair and outfits that are very 80s but prior to that none of the other characters they do have a, a timelessness or they live in their own kind of world their own bubble that is the world of chemtech and the making Mr. Right world that is separate from the outside world in some respects. I also have to say, I really love your line, I'm always late, but I'm worth it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that has sort of become a mantra of mine, because <laughs> I'm always late. <laughs> so I really love that. <laughs> well, that was the screenwriters. I don't know which one wrote that one. Lori Frank has, both of them had a very whip-smart sensibility. And Susan, it's to her credit that she welcomed that. She wanted that. It wasn't like any other movie that was out there at the time, and that probably was to its box office detriment, mm -hmm. but whatever. I think it holds up now, and it's full of a lot of goodwill and charm, and I think the world could use more of that goodwill and charm. Yeah, now, we don't need another movie about serial killers. <laughs> we don't need any more nihilism. You can get that on Twitter. 
Oh my gosh. Even the appearance of Phil Donahue is. You probably don't even know who that is. I remember him a little bit, yeah. Like, anytime Trish and Frankie are together, it's so funny. Yeah. And when they're fighting over the phone in the end, it's so funny. <laughs> and I know I have some issues with John Malkovich in this movie, but his physical comedy is so fucking funny. Like, when, when the robot is first walking around and walking into walls. It's great how he has to learn to do everything like a human child would. You see, Miss Stone, programming the android takes him just so far. The rest must be learned. Like a human child. We had some difficulty with his gross motor functions before we modified his cerebral muscular coordination. And then he's basically like walking like a toddler does. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I love when you see a toddler walking down the street because they really do look so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're about to fall and they do fall a lot. Yeah. And then of course the pouring <laughs> and making a mess. Great physical acting. Yeah. And when he's going through her purse and... <laughs> You know, lights a cigarette and tries to like blow up the yeah. diaphragm thing. Ugh, and yeah, that, that was gr- But it was pretty thing. funny. That's um, kind of also a time capsule. So I don't think we used diaphragms for very long, did we? I used one somewhere between Logan and Dash. Like, they're still around. Oh, really? They're such a fucking pain in the ass, though. Yeah. There was a brief time where I was like, definitely didn't want to get pregnant at that time. And I think we tried like every kind of. Uh, yeah. Because I mm-hmm. was breastfeeding and the mini pill made me crazy and i got a diaphragm for a little bit and it's the worst it's like so hard to get in there and get it out the good thing is you can put it in like earlier you know you don't have to like stop let me go put my diaphragm in okay i guess that's good but it's like a big pain in the neck to use and it's like not very effective so it's like why are we even still doing this at all (laughs) right but i guess just because like it's cheap you just buy the one and it's yeah it's not hormonal or anything it's not something that you have to get taken out like an iud or something i guess that's why they still exist because how hard is it to still manufacture this little rubber disc thing right it is not a good form of birth control (laughs) it looks a little like a diva cup yeah yeah, diva cups are just a little deeper. Diva cups are way bigger, I would say. Yeah. I wonder if it's just as effective for bird control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how are you gonna have sex with a diva cup in there? You cannot. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she has a hair dryer in her purse too. Well, her hair is very styled. I love it's so styled. My God, but like, it's... what do you call it in the back when it? I don't know what that's called, but it's wild. It's My God, it has a name when it comes together in the back. <laughs> I love it though. Like, how do you even do that on your own? You're definitely asking the wrong person. There's a scene where she's dry. I think maybe she's going to the mall because she's like chasing Ulysses into the mall because he's escaped. And she passes the movie theater and it has the parent trap. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, what happened. Yes. There was a switch in there. That. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. And they use that same technology, obviously. <laughs> The split screen. And I was excited I, that he was going into the mall, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna use an escalator. Yeah. Because oh, <laughs> I like so the escalator. escalator. Yeah. There's a lot of escalator action yeah. in this movie. Well, there is a little bit in Desperately Seeking Susan, too. Like, oh, yeah. Remember, he's gonna leave her alone in the train station, and then he changes his mind, and he has to go up. He goes up the down escalator. <laughs> There's a lot of wrong way. I wonder if that's yeah. like a signature director Ooh, thing, wow. like wrong way on the escalator. Oh, my gosh. That'd be worth looking into. 
shopping that was really like <laughs> what? what he bought a car was, yeah like on the computer i'm just like how is he doing this definitely one? not i don't think that was a thing in 
because Don gets punched at least once every episode, and I like watching that. You couldn't live without me. Kill him. Why? Because you're weak. Oh my god, she's killing him. Don't worry, nobody ever dies on these shows. Unless they're canceling his contract. Does that track with that line reading? He's dead in his door, Nate. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know what she was trying to do. That's not New Jersey. I would say no. Jersey for you. Not, not for me. <laughs> you would know. I like the vibrating bet. Like, I've never seen one of those, but I remember seeing those in lots of oh, movies in the 80s. They were in so many and, movies in the 80s. And they never look appealing. Like, they always like are jostling violently. <laughs> I was saying, you see, a black hole is so dense that its gravity actually sucks in light. Its gravity actually sucks in light. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand. Mm-hmm. They're always in the shittiest bed, too. Like, oh, <laughs> an uncomfortable makes... bed that's jiggling a lot? Yeah. <laughs> that's where I'd see them as in a by-the-hour hotel. Right, hotel. yeah. yeah. <laughs> just to be noisy so that you can drown out I the don't. sounds you're making? It's so weird. <laughs> I think it's supposed to feel like a massage or something. Oh, and mm. she's massaging him yeah, she's on like the massage Very head. aggressively. Very aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> really funny foreplay from Trish. Trish is just so wild. <laughs> I do absolutely love Glenn Headley's kind of realistic acting <laughs> to thinking she killed Ulysses and then also how long it takes for Frankie to explain. No, you didn't kill him. He's a robot. <laughs> Trish! <laughs> he was so giving, so compassionate. He had such a wonderful understanding of a woman's heart and now he's dead. Trish, Trish, calm down. Now what happened? <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was the way he looked at me. He was so beautiful. And all of a sudden we were in each other's arms and we were making love and it was so fantastic. You were making what? We were making love and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever felt in my entire life. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. He could do that? With you? Why shouldn't he do that with me? Oh, Trish! Damn it, did you show him how? This is getting a little sick, don't you think? Your cousin is dead on the kitchen floor. He, he was on top of me, inside me, and then he just started going crazy. His head started twisting up. <laughs> Trish, Trish, just help me get his head off, would you? Oh, my God, what are you talking about? Listen. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you didn't make love to my cousin. You just made it with my android. You were what? Ew! <laughs> and then when she realized, she's just like, ew. <laughs> she's so funny. But I love how completely distraught she is for the longest time. Right. She really thinks that there's a dead man in the kitchen. It's almost not played for laughs. Dead really. from his head just spinning around. <laughs> I do love that hairy prosthetic ass that's sticking around his pants. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. Every Ian Magnuson line is so great because she has the cutest voice. It's she like is such a voice. wonderful old Hollywood style <laughs> voice. I mean, is it her first line? No, because she, she talks to Sia, which is a Sir Chill Out. Sir Chill Out! 
I love when she goes into the conference room and it's full of businessmen and she's like, I'm always late, but I'm worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, gentlemen, to keep you waiting. I'm always late, but I'm worth it. That was awesome. That's a great mission statement. I like the exchange between the sister and the mom when she says shaving such a bourgeois concept and she <laughs> says marriage is a bourgeois concept. <laughs> you are going to shave those before the wedding. Hector likes me like this. Shaving is such a bourgeois concept, Mom. Marriage is a bourgeois concept, Ivy. How come I can't talk you out of that? I feel like touche, Mom. Right? Totally. <laughs> That's a very good point. Oh, and then when her assistant kind of screws her over and she says, I wish you all the success you deserve. Frankie, I'm, I'm super sorry that I didn't call you. But after all, this is my big shot, you know. Yeah, not all that large, Suze. But I'm happy for you, really. I wish you all the success you deserve. Like, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. I think what happened to your lip is a really great way to ask about a mustache. What happened to your lip? It's a mustache. I felt that it would make me look more mature. Voters like that. Well, I'm a voter, Steve. And it's like a pretty bad mustache. Yeah. She's wanting to take Jeff to the wedding, and he's like, I'm not good with people. She's like, I have to go to this wedding. And I need a date, and you'd be the exact perfect guy. Now, this isn't a proposition. I just want to know if you might think about maybe going with me. A wedding? I don't know. I'm not very good with people. Oh, they're not people. They're just my family. I thought that was hilarious. I really like at the wedding when she says, I didn't know Babalu was our song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind if I cut in? This is our song. Uh, I think that would be a good idea. I didn't know Babalu was our song, Steve. Oh, and then also when the tuck shop guy says, is it congenital or contagious? And she just says, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, take the jumpsuit off first. Is it congenital or contagious? Drugs. Uh-huh. So, so funny. funny. And like, really smart too. She thinks on her feet. Because yeah. I feel like that's the most believable of the yeah. situation. <laughs> Right. Would you believe robot? <laughs> Not with right. now with a full uncircumcised penis, apparently. Right. Well, see, I, I just don't understand why Jeff felt it was necessary to give you that, um, thing. Jeff felt it would give me confidence. I like uh, one of Lewis L Lewis's Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> Ulysses, but Jeff, what about babies? Can I have one? But Jeff, what about babies? Can I have one? Just pick one up. I feel like that's something you would ask. <laughs> Can I have a baby? Okay. Remember Logan and I were somewhere and someone walked by with a baby and I was like, they didn't let me hold it. <laughs> the extras, like there's a lot of great background. Oh my background gosh. Acting. Yeah. How much of this was shot like guerrilla style and how much of this people like were hired? I don't know. Like I love yeah. those kids on the news. I feel like yeah. they might have just been walking by. Well, like, broadcast the in finish. one of the scenes that... Steve, right, mm -hmm. is the politician. Yeah. Okay. Where it's like campaign headquarters and there's volunteers and like one of them is like wearing a leather mini skirt. <laughs> <laughs> People have so much style just in the background. Like the lady who jumps into the pool. Oh in yeah. All black. Yeah. Like there's some other really extras? cool person just at the wedding too that like looks like they came from a 
punk rock show to right. go to this wedding. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it seems like Miami is kind of like the New York of... Not like New York, but it's the closest thing in it's the Florida. Capital. Yeah, it's a fa- like a fashion capital. That sounds right. There's like a lot of money in Miami, right? Yeah, I think there's fashion down there and yeah. models and stuff like that. I don't know. It's definitely more stylish than anywhere else in Florida, <laughs> I'd say. And making Mr. Right is something that I know Susan said she wanted to do something quite different mm-hmm. and going to Miami and kind of playing with this retro futurism right. space travel and robots and creating <laughs> <laughs> romantic comedy in that environment. It's a nice change of pace. And a lot of it was dictated by the screenwriters. Lori Frank and Floyd Byers. But I'd found out through the commentary I did with Susan that it was her idea. It was originally set in New York or somewhere like that, and she wanted to shoot in Miami. And it was great to be down there. I had never been to Miami. And we shot in 1986, and nobody had discovered Miami at that point. So it was really cool. It was skanky in parts, (laughs) certainly on South Beach, but you still had... All the old Jewish folks who had retired down there were still there. All the deco buildings were completely intact. They were a a little worse for wear, and and there was a lot of crime, of course, but all the architecture was exactly as it was. There was no monetizing of Miami by the Europeans or by any of the entrepreneurs. So capitalism had taken a holiday from from Miami. And, And when capitalism takes a holiday, it's a great environment for creativity. Wow, that's such a cool quote right there. Right? Yeah. And I loved all the 60s buildings, the Fountain Blue, the Eden Rock. Miami in the 60s, the 50s and 60s was the happening place. That was all gone, but the buildings were still there and everything was intact. It hadn't been changed. I mean, it's all been ruined, I'm sure, and turned into like fake mid-century modern oligarch crap, you know? (laughs) I haven't been there in a while, but I loved it. And that incredible color of the ocean, very much Mm. like, you know, in the movie Midnight Cowboy, Mm-hmm. when he's daydreaming about going to Miami and at the end they finally get there. It was like that. Wow. It was a dream. I was having my own sort of midnight cowboy experience because I was going from this harshness of downtown New York into this bright sunlight and these beautiful deco buildings and My grandmother, one of her favorite TV shows was the Jackie Gleason show, which shot in Miami Beach. So growing up as a kid, I watched Miami (laughs) in its heyday, you know, being televised, this show being televised. The best part about being in show business is you get to have these adventures and you get to go to different places and meet new people. That's my favorite part about it. And Susan brought in great designers. Barbara Ling did the production design. Ed Lockman is an incredible DP. Oh, it's so great to watch a movie where everything's lit beautifully. Yeah. It's not in all these horrible dark shadows. Everything is so darkly lit now. Right. Oh, God. That's true. Oh, my God. That's always my complaint. I grew up in Florida, and I really loved seeing Miami portrayed in the movie. Yeah, it just, like, the bright sunlight, and, I mean, the sun is just, like, relentless in Florida. Yeah, it was was great. It was really wonderful until the the shoot went a little bit longer than expected. Of course, they generally do. Mm. But, boy, 
boy, once we started to get into June and that humidity came in. Oh, yeah. I thought I was going to die, but we finished it and <laughs> moved on. But I loved going there. I, I was was there for three months and I stayed in the hotel they put me up and I didn't leave. So when I came back to New York, boy, that was a bit of a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like Trish, when she said, oh my God, they're Frenching. <laughs> oh my God, they're Frenching. This is network TV and they're using tongues. That's got to be against some rule. On broadcast TV. Every line reading from her was amazing. Yeah. I like the way Susie says when she won't stop working at the wedding and she's like, these people are really interested in Nicaragua and all the issues and things. <laughs> Also a really good Trish line. You're having a nervous breakdown. I have those all the time. <laughs> Trish, what's wrong with me? You're having a nervous breakdown. I have those all the time. And when she's flirting and all the flirting and the food and she's like, I had a dream about space the other day. I was traveling far, far out into another galaxy and I had this strange sensation that space was folding in on itself, like it was curved or something, folding in on itself. That's, that's amazing. That's what does happen. Space is curved. Really? Yes. You see, if this is our galaxy, and these represent the other known galaxies. Is that a pimento? Oh, I'm sorry. My destroying distant worlds. No, that's okay. Am I destroying? Yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> oh, that was great. World. She's practically Beavis and Butthead with the black hole thing. <laughs> That's a black hole. Black hole. <laughs> it's like you said hole. <laughs> Space invader with an itch. You have such great chemistry with Glenn Headley in the movie. Can you talk about working with her? Glenn and John were very successful in New York theater and they come from Chicago, Steppenwolf, highly, highly successful and critically acclaimed. And I could see them holding their own with all those people at the cocktail party in All About Eve. <laughs> so I think Glenn was suspicious of my standing as a quote-unquote performance artist, but I tried to tell her right away, oh, that's just a word. It's convenient to get you to a festival in Italy, which I'd been at, and perform in Japan, which I had just done, and to me it was all theater. And I had to do a little bit of work to just let her know that I wasn't going to be a thread, and we're all in this together, and let's just have fun. So. I would let her be the queen bee and let her teach me how to give myself a manicure, even though I knew how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of let her be the dominant force, and, and then it all went very well. And she was really very good at playing the scout leader. She liked to go on these field trips that I couldn't always go on, but she explored the area around Miami like nobody's business. They were always going to some tourist place, or I remember we all went to go scuba diving at Key Largo and Susan Berman and I got sunscreen in our eyes and blinded for like hours. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> we thought Key Largo was going to be this, I think everybody thought it was going to be this romantic thing because of the movie with Bogart and Bacall and it was just a hideous. <laughs> 
Glenn also wanted to go to Six Flags Atlantis, one of those crazy Whoa. water parks. And her and me and Hart Bogner, I think, and there might have been one other person. We're the only other people around at the time or would even want to go and do that. And I nearly drowned in the wave oh, pool. Oh, gosh. I never <laughs> a wave pool before. And I swear to God, I nearly drowned in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. Play along, play along to like, okay, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of a doomsday name for a theme park. In yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, Neptune and it's aquatic. <laughs> <laughs> I think because Glenn and John were coming from such a highfalutin, critical acclaim theater world, I don't think they quite understood the breadth of my experience doing theater and doing alternative theater and how that was just as legitimate. So sadly, I feel like I did diminish myself in order to gain their approval because I wanted us to all get along because I really thought, you know what, we're supposed to be best friends. Let's be best friends, you know, Let's, uh -huh. yeah. and she was great in that part. I guess you could say she steals the, the film away from everybody, but she was perfect for that part. Much better yeah. than I, I would have been. It's a testament to your acting because you just seem like besties in your scenes together. They're so funny. Like we watched it and when you two were fighting over the phone, we were just cracking up. I had a good time with everybody. It had a kind of a bit of a summer camp vibe because people would come and go depending on when they were needed to shoot. And the people who would be there on the weekend, I was busy. I, I was shot almost every day, so I didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of free time. And there were weekends. So you would go out with groups. Glenn was really interested in bingo. <laughs> there was a bingo thing in a huge warehouse. But, you know, whatever you can establish in real life and bring into the scene, if it makes the scene work better, then do it. We ended up getting along really well, and I was like, yes, it does show on the screen. And she was an incredible actress. She really yeah. was. Really top, top talent. I just kept thinking wearing pantyhose in Florida and wearing <laughs> all those jackets would yeah. be so hot. Oh, yeah. But they were really cool. All of her looks were just so awesome. Her character just seems to like just throw her clothes on and just <laughs> run around. Right. And she looks so polished and good, you know. She has like a dry cleaning bag in the back in a pile of chicken boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how does she not have grease stains on anything? Yeah, she's skilled, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I like the don't flatter yourself, I hate <laughs> men. <laughs> I don't know, so I funny. just really like that one. I really like it too, and I feel like it is like kind of the mission statement. <laughs> <laughs> like, there aren't any good men. The only good man is an artificial man. Yeah, make <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> what else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. We did the commentary for the film, and then Susan and I separately do on camera 
interviews where we're answering questions about the movie. And one of the questions was, did you see any signs of sexism on the set? Mm. And I think when one does these things, you just automatically get into a vibe where you're not going to really say anything that's going to <laughs> oh. rock the boat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I said, no, not really. But there was, you know. Of course, of course right? Late, and it wasn't specific to that movie set. It's not specific to that movie. It's a more complicated answer. You don't want to delve into that on that kind of platform because they don't give you enough time. This is why talk shows, I never liked doing them. It's just shtick, you know, and you can't really have in-depth conversations about things because they want you to say everything. Like Twitter now, or they, you know, like say it in two sentences, get a <laughs> laugh, and move on to the next thing. It's like, ugh. Right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Press <laughs> your space, face close to so this is what's called a lunchtime poll. So the lunchtime poll question <laughs> is, what is your sad snack? Akin to her having her frozen glacia and Diet Coke when she's sad, she has it twice. Yeah. So it does seem like her go-to. Well, I like dark chocolate and sometimes I keep it in the freezer and I'll just... I do really love ice cream too. Mm. Mm. I used to be really into ice cream, but now I can't do it anymore because my stupid old tummy so i like to do a double whammy of salty and sweet lately i've been kind of into either like the tim's cascade sasquatch surprise <laughs> and cadbury chocolate Ooh. Oh. or last night i had hippies have you had those they're like chickpea Cheetos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've seen those, but I haven't had them. Are I they mean, pretty good? I really like them. I like any sort of cheese dust. Any flavor dust, really. If there's dust on a crunchy <laughs> thing. So, sweet and salty, back and forth, until I die. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they selling like Cheetos sprinkles or flavoring? Oh, or... really? Like, I thought I saw dust. that. Yikes. I don't know. I smart. Maybe it's not real. I don't know. Maybe it is real. <laughs> Maybe it is. We <laughs> <laughs> really good on popcorn. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have lots of snacks that I like, but if we're talking about sad snacking, like when I am sad, tragically, I don't snack at all. Last time I had a sad period with September, of, not last year, but the year before, and I felt like I had really failed at some point because I was like <laughs> so sad and did not want to put anything in my mouth. And I'm like, I have no vices, but if I'm like really sad, I have no appetite. It sucks. I mean, I guess there's worse things, but... So I don't have a sad snack because if I'm sad, my body is just like, don't put anything in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really bad. <laughs> well, I mean, I eat snacks. I have happy yeah. snacks. I don't know. I eat a lot of nuts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nuts are fucking great. Yeah. I was just listening to some, maybe it was an ad for almonds, I don't know, but it was basically like, almonds are so good for you, here's all the reasons a handful of almonds are great for you, and I was like, thank God, because I eat several handfuls of almonds every day. I actually had to Google if I could eat too many almonds, if that was a thing. Oh. I was just like, can you eat too many almonds? And you can, but it's so many. (laughs) You would have to eat. So I was really relieved. How oh, very. To make your twitch. Do you have a dream project or a character type that you'd want to revisit? Well, I'll 
tell you, I'm in the midst of trying to put together a sequel to a video I did in 1984 called mm -hmm. Made for TV, where I played a variety of female characters uh, all in the course of a day of television programming. Oh, it was nice. very specific to 1984, and I want to do a sequel, Made for TV 2, Old Lady. <laughs> all older women so explore older women and their experiences and what it feels like to to age and embrace that how does the culture embrace or not embrace it usually not embrace it mm -hmm. and uh, where do we go from here you know i don't know how much time is left for me and i want to make the most of it which means i want to pick and choose what i do put my energy into because doing movies and tv is very stressful and if you don't have much control over it and they're not paying you very much mm -hmm. it doesn't seem worthwhile to do i've been doing more visual art and doing more music. In a way, I'm sort of going back to who I was when I first got to New York and found this great community of like-minded souls. And we just took any idea that we had and manifested it into reality and had a good time doing it and formed a community of love and respect and enthusiasm and got the bliss chemicals going in the brain and a spread joy. It's all about making us feel better about being alive. There's just so much out there that's negative and yeah. it's good to put out positive vibes. And I think that making Mr. Right puts out a lot of positive vibes. Yeah. But I'm really glad that I've got to be in something that puts out some positive vibes. We don't need any more negative vibes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, that this was, was amazing, amazing talking to you. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I know I'm a talker, so... You just have such a lovely voice, too, so it's massaging our ears. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Years ago, I had a voiceover agent. You have to go through the same grinder oh. to try to get those parts. It's like, no. <laughs> I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting for this. Somebody right. wants me that my contact information is on the website. Yeah. You can find me. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. So show me that you really care. Make me jump into the You can learn more about Anne Magnuson via her Instagram at AnneMagnuson.official and her website, AnneMagnuson.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Additional music by Anne Magnuson. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.